Welcome to the podcast of Wiser, Women in Surgery at the Emory Residencies, where we share the careers and life stories of Emory surgeons across all specialties to recognize the diverse achievements happening right here at our own institution. Welcome back to another podcast of Wiser, Women in Surgery at Emory Residencies. I'm Vivian Wang, a Chief Resident of the Emory General Surgery Residency Program, and I'm here again with Caroline Coleman, a third-year Emory medical student. In this episode of the Wiser podcast, we have the privilege of talking with Dr. Carla Hack. Dr. Hack has been at Emory since 2006 when she started her general surgery residency here. During her chief residency year at Emory, Dr. Hack was named a Grady Memorial Hospital Healthcare Hero by the Grady Health Foundation and received the David V. Feliciano Teaching Award. Her primary clinical location is the Acute and Critical Care Surgery Service of Emory University Hospital. Her current position is Assistant Professor of GI and General Surgery at Emory. She is also the Medical Director of Surgical Care Coordination at Emory University Hospital and a Henry B. Tippy Clinician Scholar. So, to start off, what first got you interested in medicine and why did you become a doctor? So, thank you so much for having me. I like taking care of people. Taking care of people makes me feel happy. And that is the first thing that made me want to go into a field where that was part of what I did. I didn't think that I had what it took to be a doctor until I did really, really well on the math part of my SATs and decided to go major in biology, which actually turned into pre-med. So I don't actually have an undergrad degree because I just took my pre-med credits and applied to medical school and went. Speaking to that path, where did you go to undergrad and where did you go to medical school? My mom is Puerto Rican. I was born in Atlanta, but I was raised extremely Puerto Rican. And we moved to Puerto Rico when I was 10 years old. When we moved to the mountains in Puerto Rico, we were in love with the community, however, found that the school system didn't necessarily meet the standard that we were used to. And my mother made the very courageous move of pulling us out of school and homeschooling us. And so I graduated from high school when I was 15 and went to college when I was 16 at the University of Puerto Rico in Calle, which was about 20 minutes away from my parents' house because my mom was like, there's no way that my 16-year-old baby is moving (laughs) away from home to go to college. And so because I didn't finish my bachelor's degree, I finished my pre-med credits in three years, so I was 18 when I got accepted into medical school and 19 when I actually went. I thought I wanted to come back to the States for medical school because I wanted to go to a big name medical school. And uh, my mom said, you can either start getting yourself into debt now and start taking loans to go to whatever big name medical school you wanna try to get into, or you know very well that your education is what you make of it. You can go to Harvard and waste your time or you can go to the medical school that your father and I can afford and make good use of your time. And that was really some of the best advice that I've ever gotten. I feel like we should interview your mom. (laughs) You should definitely interview my mom. My mom is gonna be a much better interview than I am. Oh my goodness. Anything that I am in life that's good, I can thank the women in my family for. But I will also say that my mom is the one who never let it cross my mind that I couldn't be whatever I wanted to be. And it didn't matter that I was a female and a minority and small and brown. It never occurred to me that it couldn't happen because she simply never never let us entertain the thought. Yeah. You, you did a sabbatical year. Ish. Ish. Can you tell us how, how did that come about and 
what did you do? So I was 28 when I became faculty. And I hadn't really ever stopped to smell the roses. And I am married to somebody who I am completely head over heels in love with, whom I met when I was in my second year of medical school, who also happens to be 19 years older than I am. And he was one of the people who pointed out that maybe you and I should get to know each other a little bit more. And we'd been married for like three years at this point. Because the truth is that when I met him, he was living in Atlanta and I was living in Puerto Rico. That is part of the reason why Emory was such a big draw for me for training. But we were long distance while that was happening. And then I got here and I was a surgery resident. So we were living in the same house, but we were long distance. So when I got hired, I asked if that was a thing that we might be able to do. And one of the really cool things about Emory is that instead of asking why, they ask why not. So we traveled all the way around the world. I got certified to teach yoga. I rediscovered a love of calligraphy. I traveled all over Central America and the Caribbean. I studied Sanskrit. I learned how to drive a boat. I did all sorts of really interesting things. I became much closer to my husband and my family. And I'm really, really, it was one of the best years of my life. And I appreciated it so much more for having experienced surgery residency before going into it and for having experienced having experienced surgeonhood prior to going into it. it because it puts life and death into stark relief and it makes you really appreciate every moment that you have and you take a lot less for granted. Was it hard to come back? Yes. I actually think that this is an important part of the journey. So I was really struggling before I left with my own emotions. I am not afraid to get emotionally involved. I feel my patient's pain. And the result of that is that I can make a real connection with patients, which is really valuable to me and I feel very lucky to be able to cultivate. The flip side of that is that you walk around carrying their pain with you. I was really struggling with that. And so I did a lot of soul searching when I was away. When I came back, I thought that just trying to teach yoga was going to make that better. But the truth is, it was just this other thing that I was trying to do on top of an already very busy schedule. Yoga by itself was not enough for me. When I came back, there were wonderful people at Emory who said, I think you're onto something with this yoga thing. You should try this meditation thing too. And I studied cognitively based compassion training when I came back which made a huge difference in terms of drawing, distinguishing between empathy and compassion, and it's not necessarily the same thing. So empathy is just feeling somebody else's pain. Compassion is having a sincere desire to alleviate somebody else's suffering, taking action when it's within your power to do so, but recognizing that when there is no action that you can take, it in no way diminishes the sincerity of your desire to alleviate this person's suffering, which makes you think outside the box about how it is that you can alleviate their suffering. That changed the way that I look at my career. That changed the way that I look at surgery. That changed the way that I approach my patient care. Mm -hmm. It means that you can be absolutely, totally, fully present with your patient and engaged with your patient and empathize with your patient, but it also helps you have a little bit of yourself left for you and your family at the end of the day. How do you counsel your patients in light of these principles? Do you ever give them tools to manage their own stress along these lines of, of meditation? Uh, somebody paid you to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the answer is yes. And I actually feel like having struggled with burnout, I am in a much better place to talk about going through difficult times in your life and coming out better 
because you went through those difficulties, as opposed to in spite of having gone through those difficulties, changing the way that you view the things that you would not choose for yourself, choosing how it is that you want to respond to these situations that are thrust upon you or that you are forced into. It's really powerful. It's very liberating. And it's, quite frankly, an essential part that we have often overlooked in the practice of medicine. For those of us who are busy residents and busy medical students who might be stressed and could probably benefit from some things, some of these things and principles. I know there are certain meditation apps that have gotten quite popular and people have gotten good use out of it. For those who might not be quite ready to download an app yet, is there one small, quick, couple minute thing that you could recommend residents and medical students to do maybe on a daily basis? Something that's actually quite simple, but really hard, is to sit and observe your breath, observe the sensations of the breath. See if you can count 10 breaths without your mind wandering. It's really hard. It's it's all about kind of studying your mind, observing your mind with curiosity, but withholding judgment, which is, again, sounds really simple, but is incredibly difficult. That being said, reminding myself to accept the present moment on purpose and without judgment changes the way that I feel at 2 a.m. when I'm coming in to operate on call. And that may be something that is that is powerful for a busy resident because you don't necessarily need to be sitting on a cushion wearing your special meditation outfit <laughs> with the aromatherapy and the perfect environment to do this. It's most powerful when you do it in practice. I do it in the operating room before every case. It's part of my call to order. Let's remember why we're here. And I find it to be really powerful and transformative for me. And you're also involved in the Emory Haiti Alliance and traveling to Haiti. Can you talk about your experience with that? Um, So that's one of those things that's come about as a result of the soul searching. And one of those things that makes me really, really happy that I went into medicine and that I have the preparation and the training that I have. It is an enormous privilege to serve the population of the Central Plateau in Haiti. And it is actually one of the more powerful things in terms of combating burnout. There is something that is so intensely rewarding about doing something simple for somebody and making their life better or alleviating their suffering. And so it's expanded beyond Haiti. So my participation in the Emory Haiti Alliance's trip gave me the basis for being able to be one of the first responders after the hurricane hit my homeland. And I didn't have any word from my family, and you guys know how I feel about my mom at this point, for eight days. I had no word, had nothing, I knew nothing. I knew that the eye of that storm had gone right over my parents' house, and my parents are elderly, and I knew nothing about whether they were alive or dead or injured or whether they had enough food or water, and I was a wreck. And the Emory Haiti Alliance absolutely rallied around me. We started a fund. We started raising money. I found a way to get myself down there, and I was able, I was the 40th medical provider to land in Puerto Rico after the storm, and I have gone back almost every month since the storm to provide free medical care to people who need it. I have the most joy that I have had in a really long time, and I really believe that it, it, it comes from accepting the present moment on purpose and without judgment, recognizing when I have the capacity to act on something and when I have the capacity to act on it, doing so so I don't have to worry about it, and also acknowledging when I don't have the capacity to act and being intentional about trying to let that go. It's much easier said than done, but the rewards are enormous. I was going to say that sounds so simple when you say it, but it can be truly a paradigm shift for for so many people. Absolutely. 
But before we get away, how did your how were your parents after the storm? My parents were fine. Thank you for asking. I was so incredibly blessed to find that my family did not suffer the way that a lot of people suffered in Puerto Rico, and they became wonderful collaborators. I wanted to drag them out by their hair. I was ready to chloroform <laughs> grandma and stick her in the trunk and bring her home with me. And um, uh, my family said, absolutely not. How can we leave? There's so much work to do. There are so many people that we need to help. You're going to be here for a minute, and then you're going to go back to Atlanta. Who's going to help them when you're gone? We have to distribute supplies. And they did, and they do. And um, my mom's house became a center for distributing goods. And we were supplying several different outreach missions in Puerto Rico out of my mom's house where people knew if they had a medical mission or a mission of any sort, not just medical. I mean, supply donation, emotional support, psychological counseling, so many different things happened where they knew they could come to my mom's house and collect supplies. And then communities started hearing about what was happening and they would come to my mom's house and they're like, hey, can your daughter come to our neighborhood? And my mom would be like, can you go here? And I'd be like, sure, and off I would go. Um, so none of us is happy that the storm happened. I witnessed far many more random acts of kindness than of disrespect or looting or threat when I was there. And I am so very proud about how the average person pulled themselves up by their bootstraps lent a hand to their brothers and sisters, came together, and worked to make the situation the best that it could be. Such a demonstration of community. You have no idea. There was no community that I visited in Puerto Rico that did not offer me a meal, or forced one on me, because they thought I needed like 20 sandwiches. Um, and uh, they would play music with sticks and clap, and they would dance and they would teach their kids about the stars, which you cannot imagine total darkness until you are somewhere where the entire landmass has no power, that you've also never seen a sky like that. And I witnessed a lot of resilience and a lot of grace and a lot of generosity and a lot of kindness and a lot of beauty in the midst of that. And it was, once again, it was a privilege for me to be present and for me to bear witness to those things. Last but not least, an awesome yoga studio hanging out in the hospital tower somewhere. Can you tell us about that and where people can go to do some awesome yoga? Yes, so we have free yoga for faculty, students, and staff, thanks to the generosity of the Rollins Foundation and um, Mr. Tibby. And um, we, the classes are taught by Yoga Works instructors. So you have really, really awesome yoga teachers coming to give yoga here at Emory. Our yoga studio is on 14 North. It's a little bit interesting to get to, which is, I actually think, part of the allure. Um, we do have people that are standing by to help get folks into class around the time of class. So don't be put off if your badge doesn't get you into the staff elevators. But essentially, you take the staff elevators on the tower to the fourth floor, and we're on the north side. Um, our classes are Mondays and Wednesdays at 5.30 p.m., Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30 p.m., and Fridays at noon. You're all also invited to a 20-minute session that I lead in the OR conference area on Tuesday mornings at 6.30, from 6.30 to 6.50, which I realize is prime rounding time. Um, but I lead a 20-minute chair yoga session in the OR area, which I think is very powerful to think about what you want your touch to mean when you get ready to lay hands on a patient and 
get ready to cut them open and rearrange their insides. Um, I think it's good to set the tone to do that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Hart. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that was worth your while. Thanks for tuning in to today's Wiser podcast. Hope you join us next time for another great interview.